You're listening to the voice of the future, fighting for America every day. This is the conservative crusader. And here's your host, GOP Josh. Hello and welcome to the conservative crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Here on the Red Future Radio Network with the Conservative Crusader, there has not been a podcast, a radio show, for a couple days now, and I apologize. Uh, Monday, I just took the day off. Tuesday, had some technical errors. Basically, I forgot to record the show. Obviously, I can't put it out on podcast if it's not recorded, so the show did not go out on podcast. Uh, Friday, there will not be another show again. Um, just taking personal days with some family. Having a good day there. After that, the podcast schedule will change a little bit. We're going to go into that one day next week because I don't exactly know the schedule yet. But it won't be every single day, most likely. It won't be 11 a.m. every day, I can guarantee you that. We will have to go from there. First, I want to tell you about an interview I have scheduled. I want you all to send in your questions for J.R. Majewski. He is a candidate for Congress in Ohio's 9th Congressional District, running against Marcy Kapoor, or however you pronounce her last name, Captor. I don't know how exactly you pronounce it. She is a, if she loses this election, she will be in Congress for exactly 40 years. She's a career politician. Jared Majewski is the Republican nominee for that district. He is running as, obviously, a Republican. He's a Trump-endorsed Republican, and he will be joining me on the program. If you have any questions for him, and you want to have him answer them, call in right now. 57 GOP Josh 7 574 675 Call that number. Make sure you put his name in the voicemail so I can read the transcription and see it says Majewski. That's not for me. That's for that interview. If you want to call in and talk to this program right now, you can call in right now. 57 GOP Josh 7. Leave your voicemail. You can also text that number 574 675 6747. Also, you can email the program, josh at gopjosh.com. It is josh at gopjosh.com for our email address. I'm very excited for that interview with J.R. Majewski. I'm recording it a couple days before it's released, so make sure you have your questions in ASAP for J.R. Majewski. So there is a vote on the Senate floor that is passed, which is advancing this bipartisan gun control legislation. And it was backed by 15 Republicans and, sorry, 14 Republicans, and I'm pretty sure there were one Democrat voting against it, actually, but there were 15 Republicans voting in favor. The U.S. Senate voted Tuesday to advance a new bipartisan gun control bill in a procedural move that saw 14 Republicans support firearm restrictions. The 64-34 vote was a crucial step in potentially passing the filibuster, signaling that it may eclipse the 60-vote threshold needed to break the filibuster when the bill comes to an official vote. The bill would need the backing of 10 Republicans and all Democrats to avoid the filibuster. If the Senate breaks the filibuster, the the bill would then be put up for a final passage vote. From there, the House would have to vote on the legislation before it can land on Biden's desk. The 80-page bill was released Tuesday evening and included expanded background checks for buyers under 21 provides grants for states that implement their own red flag laws and offers additional funding for both school safety measures and mental health services. The measure also creates penalties for straw purchases of firearms, requires more gun sellers to register as federally licensed firearm dealers, and closes the so-called boyfriend loophole by prohibiting gun access for people convicted of domestic abuse against an intimate partner. 
Uh, the bill follows a bipartisan framework from earlier this month that 10 Republican senators had already signed on to. The framework on gun control measures was the basis of Tuesday's legislation. Um, so we have here the bill. I haven't read the full bill yet. I haven't had a chance to read the full bill yet. But there were, I think it was, let, let me let me get this exact list here. There were the 10 original and then five more signed on, Republicans. There was Blunt, Burr, Portman, Toomey, Cornyn, Tills, Cassidy, Collins, Ram, and Romney, or Graham and Romney, I'm sorry, who signed on from the beginning, worked on the bill, worked on passing the bill. Um, that is the list of the 10 that helped create it. There were five more that decided to vote for it. Murkowski, uh, Capito, Ernest, McConnell, and Young. The vote was 64 to, I think it was 34. One of the Democratic senators voted against the bill. John Tester of Montana, I believe, voted against the bill. Uh, he's famous for his ha- haircut and doing nothing, really. A Democrat senator from Montana, he voted against the bill. So I want to go into these 15 Republicans who decided to vote for the bill. We have Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, um, let's see here, Rob Portman, are all three retiring. In 2024, we have Mitt Romney, who is up for re-election. We have uh, Shelley Moore Capito, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, John Cornyn, Joni Erst, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, and Thom Thills, Tillis, up in 2026. One person who voted for this bill. Only one person voted in favor, and that person, that, that's up for re-election in 2022, and that person is Lisa Murkowski. Now, when we originally talked about this bill on the program, I said, Lisa Murkowski isn't going to vote in favor. It would be silly. It would be just, it, it would hurt her campaign, her re-election campaign, obviously, to the U.S. Senate. She has a tough primary challenger in um, Miss Chewbacca, in Miss uh, Kelly um, what's her last name? Kelly Tiss something. I'm not exact ja- exactly sure how you. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it. Tishabaka, I think it is, who is running against Lisa Murkowski for the U.S. Senate in Alaska, and she is the Trump endorsed candidate. I'm pretty sure, but she is a tough primary challenger against Lisa Murkowski, and we are going to see where that goes. She has even more to use against her now that she voted for this legislation. So let's see if this this article doesn't even say what's in the bill. From what I understand, it's a big nothing burger so far. It's basically just, just what I went over before with the background checks and red flag laws. But it's a stepping stone. There are reports that senators are now working bipartisanly on immigration reform. The Republican Party has one job right now. I like bipartisanship when it's on on decent things, right? When it comes to infrastructure, important things, without spending truckloads of money, bipartisanship is fine. But when you have a constitutional right 
and you are in the minority. Working with the majority to get anything done, which would infringe on the constitutional right, is anti-American and going against your constituency. Just because Republicans are in the minority and they have a filibuster-proof minority, or filibuster, and the Democrats have a filibuster-prone um, majority, doesn't mean that we, as Republicans or the Republican senators, have to work with the Democratic Party. They have their 50-plus-1 votes if they can stay united as the caucus. We don't need to join them. It's not the job of Republican senators to do the Democratic's job for them, to do the Democrats' job for them. Outside of John Tester, the 50 senators stayed united. So 49 of the 50 stayed united behind this bill. Our our caucus is, is broke two ways. The Republican caucus is broken two ways. Why is the left so much better, the, the, the Democratic Party so much better at staying united behind their cause, at staying united, at joining together at the hip, to pass legislation, to get things done, whether Republicans want to join them or not. If they could, they would end the filibuster and get everything done. We're not preventing them from ending the filibuster by working with them. We're just helping them get through the filibuster, getting their goals through through the filibuster. That's their only goal. And it's, it's, it's disgusting that Republicans are working with them. I don't oppose bipartisanship. What I oppose is bipartisanship when it comes to constitutional rights. The Second Amendment is very clear. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So we have some news from President Biden. Obviously, the podcast yesterday didn't upload. So those of you who listen on podcast missed this insane story where he fell off of his bicycle. The president of the United States fell off of his bicycle when biking. And and this has actually not been heard. I haven't heard it on the radio yet of a clip of Biden defending himself. This is from NBC News. How do you guys ride bikes? Well, they have some that have this thing you put your toe in. You strain your foot so it doesn't slide off the pedal. I was getting off the bike. It got stuck on the right side. If you could hear that over the ocean noise, because he was at the beach, I'm pretty sure. His foot got stuck in the pedal, folks. The president of the United States is supposed to Fend off Xi Jinping, supposed to fend off Vladimir Putin, supposed to make sure that Republicans, or not Republicans, I'm sorry, that make sure America is represented well in a national perspective. He can't get his foot out of a bike. He can't get his foot out of the, out of the pedal straps. That is the person supposedly, who is supposedly trying to represent the Republic or not the, not the Repu- I keep saying Republicans because I'm looking at an article about the Ohio Republican primary we'll get to later. 
but this is who's supposed to represent the United States on a national level. A guy who can't get his foot out of a bike pedal. How do you guys ride bikes? Well, they have some that have this. I'm sorry, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to pause it. He's talking to the press, asking them if they ride bikes. I think they're a little busy doing their job most of the time, whether I agree with the reporting or not. I'm pretty sure reporters are usually too busy doing their job to ride a bike or not. But, you know, it is what it is. But but he asks them, have you ever ridden a bike? Do you ride a bike? Do you have the pedal covers? I've ridden multiple bikes in my life. I'm not the most prominent bike rider of your life, but I've ridden with quite a few different people. I've ridden quite a bit on a couple of different bikes. And I've noticed that on none of the bikes I've seen, they have foot covers. They have foot straps. The first time I've... I'm not an avid rider. I don't go out and ride every weekend. I, I hardly ride actually anymore. don't even know if I have a working bike, but I digress. He, I've never seen these pedal covers he's talking about. So if you've seen them, if you are an avid biker and you've seen them, call in 57GOPJosh75746757467, josh at gopjosh.com. Have you ever gotten your foot stuck in the covers? I've strained your foot so it doesn't slide off the pedal. I was getting off the bike, it got stuck on the right side. Your foot can get stuck all at once, Joe Biden. You're not going to collapse right along with your foot. That's just funny. When we return, Biden poised to announce a likely doomed gas tax holiday. I've actually talked about this a little bit, about possibly suspending the gas tax. It's a band-aid on a bullet. Pardon me, it's a band-aid on a bullet hole, but it'll do it more than anything else. The Texas GOP, or it'll do more than nothing. Uh, The Texas GOP has their convention. Kasich, John Kasich, the former governor of Ohio, comments on said convention. And we have some more news regarding January 6th, regarding vandalism in the Capitol, regarding people not allowed in the Capitol. We have Trump's endorsement of McCarthy. We have elections in four states. We have Trump against DeSantis. I'm going too far until we have a lot to get to today. My name is GOP Josh. We'll be right back after this here on the Conservative Crusader on the Red Future Radio Network. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. Welcome back. This is the Conservative Crusader. Thank you for tuning in. The White House has considered a gas tax holiday to take off 18.4 cents of the gas prices. The gas prices are raising, it seems, every day here across the United States. But before we get into that, make sure you follow me on social media. It is Gab Getter, Parlor, Telegram, Truth Social, and Facebook. All have the same username at GOP Josh. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at GOP Josh 20. Gas prices are actually falling right now on average. $4.95.5 a gallon nationwide. Here in the state of Ohio, it's $4.949. So right there about the national average. Just a very slight drop, about six cents from last week. That doesn't change the fact that it's gone up over uh, almost two dollars since this time last year, but there is a little bit of relief at the pump, and the White House is planning on asking for even more relief at the pump. 
President Joe Biden on Wednesday called for suspending the federal gasoline tax on his latest bid to curb rising fuel prices, though it stands almost no chance to passing, of passage in Congress. Biden asked lawmakers to pass a three-month pause on the federal 18 cents per gallon levy, casting a proposal as a temporary measure that would provide relief to Americans without harming the road-building projects and tax traditionally funds. Uh, the president also urged individual states to suspend their own gas taxes during that period or seek ways to offer similar discounts from high prices at the pump. It is a reflection of the, the intensifying political pressure on a White House combating near-record levels of inflation. Quote, a federal gas tax suspension alone won't fix the problems we face, a senior Biden administration official told reporters Thursday night, but it will provide families a little breathing room. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and others have questioned that whether the policy will lead to savings at the pump rather than excess profits for gas companies. Democrats chose to not include it in their own bill aimed at lowering gas prices last month. Steiny Howard said, I've not been a, propon- a proponent of the gas tax, he said in a brief interview on t- Tuesday night. I just don't know it gives that much relief. Have you ever heard of putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole where it won't do much, but it does something? Obviously, if you put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole, it'll stop all the blood from gushing out from one side at least a little bit and help hold that hold that in. Our pockets are gushing out, paying for even more at the pump, paying even more at the grocery store, paying even more at convenience stores for things you need every day, for things you might want every day. Meets up however much percent. Inflation overall is at least 11%. I'm not buying the 8%. It's at least 11%. Gas prices are up almost double since this time last year, over $2 more. Our pockets are gushing like it's blood on a bullet hole. Our pockets are running running rampant, the money flowing right out of them like it's blood from, from, from an impact. And the Biden administration is doing the right thing. I, I'm being honest. Trying to suspend the gas tax, even temporarily, is the right move here. It won't call, solve the root problem. Obviously, the root problem in a bullet situation is that you have a bullet hole. You have a bullet inside of you, and you're gushing out blood. Putting a Band-Aid over it won't solve all the problems, but it will help slightly. Especially if it's one of those like big knee Band-Aids, but I, I digress. We need to have pro-energy policies in the White House, right? We need to have a Congress that supports energy, that supports putting your energy supply First, putting American energy, American oil first, right? We need to have that. But until we do, we have to have some sort of relief, and that relief might come in the form of a gas tax holiday. It won't do a lot, but it'll do something. $4.95 a gallon is outrageous. $5 a, a, a gallon is outrageous. And if it goes along with suspending the gas tax on the state level as well, which I believe that compromised DeWine will do anything that is really told of him by President Biden. I guess I don't have the photo here. I thought I had a photo of the Ohio gas tax sticker. I must not have saved it. But there are... are, are okay, here it is. It is 18.4 cents a gallon Federally, so that would lower it from. Let's use the the nationwide. I'll, I'll use the Ohio average because that's what we're talking about here. Uh, four ninety four nine 
minus 18.4 is, let's see here, it is $4.76.5 per gallon minus the 38.5 from the nationwide. It is $4.38 a gallon right there. It drops it 60 cents a gallon. If you have to fill up a 10-gallon tank, that's $6 safe. That's a, that's the difference between a meal and not eating. That's the difference between not being able to survive and surviving. So I'm actually going to do something that I've never done, and I'm not planning on doing again. I'm going to applaud the Biden administration. Because this policy, working to make sure that there's a little bit of relief, even the littlest bit of relief. He needs to go back and he needs to redo his energy policy. He needs to put back in place the Trump energy policies. But proposing a gas tax holiday, trying even the littlest bit of relief for the the littlest amount of time will help and will do something for your average American. So I support this gas tax holiday. It's not like the federal government is bound by how much is in their bank account anyway. The lost money won't do anything. They're going to spend it anyway. But lowering gas prices by 20 cents nationwide, almost 50 or 60 cents here in the state of Ohio, will do a tremendous amount. So let's move on. The Texas Republican Party had their convention, their policy plans for the 2022 election. They had multiple resolutions on their plate. And one of them was declaring that Joe Biden was not legitimately elected and demanding an end completely to abortion. The Texas GOP convention in Houston reinforced how many remain fixated on former President Donald Trump's baseless claims of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. You can tell. Sometimes I read articles on the show, obviously, to talk about what I'm, to tell you what I'm talking about. This is a news program and an opinion program. And I'll, I'll read articles, and the articles are always written anti-Trump, always written anti-medical or election freedom. So that's what the, that, that, if you, if I say baseless claims of election fraud, if I say insurrection, if I say riot, it's not my words. Even after the House panel investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol presented evidence saying those claims were false and showed testimony from Trump's early closest advisors saying they did not believe them during the televised hearings. Earlier this week, the party's permanent 2022 Platform and Resolutions Committee advanced a resolution claiming that the 2020 election had violated the Constitution. This is an exact quote from the, revol- uh, the uh, resolution. Quote, we reject the certified results of the 2020 presidential election and we hold that acting President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., was not legitimately elected by the people of the United States, unquote. Convention delegates also voted on a measure calling for the equal protection for the pre-born. They also had something proposed on their plate, this is my words now, uh, talking about possibly seceding from the Union, Um, Texas leaving the Union, becoming their own country, joining Mexico, I don't exactly know. But I I don't think it passed, thank goodness. I mean, Texas is one of the most pro-America states in the, in the nation, right? In the Union. So leaving the Union would, would ruin not only Texas, but ruin Republican politics here or forth. There'd be no Republican nationwide that could ever win without Texas, really. 
So I'm glad that that didn't pass. I'm pretty sure. But I, I applaud the majority of this. Um, from what I've read about this convention, I applaud their platform. I applaud the abortion tactic. I applaud the statement about Joe Biden. I applaud it all because it is true. Joe Biden was not legitimately elected. Joe Biden was not a, a, a honest president. The election was not honest. And I applaud that. I applaud what they say. I applaud them standing up for what's true. For standing up for the Constitution. I applaud that. Kasich, however, John Kasich, because somehow his opinion's still relevant. He's on the payroll at CNN. He does his own podcast. He abandoned Ohio to run for president. He failed at that, just like he failed at running for governor. And He abandoned us all. And he's now... Paid for by CNN, paid for by Wolf Blitzer, paid for by the likes. But he, he's a he's a Republican senior contributor. He's supposedly someone who is supposed to speak for the state of Ohio and speak for speak for the Republican Party on CNN. Obviously, he's a dissenting Republican. He's a Lincoln Project Republican. He is not pro-Trump. He's not a conservative. He he backed Joe Biden. Whichever way the wind blows, John Kasich goes that way. But I want to play you his own words from his own Twitter account about the Texas GOP convention. Well, well, Wolf, what I can tell you is what happened in Texas was a clown show. And I think, you know, even clowns were embarrassed by what they saw down there. You know, it brings up one important thing, Wolf, for all people who are interested in common sense and politics If you leave the field and you let the crazies, you let the people who are really extreme uh, take control, then these are the kind of things you get. And it it works on both sides, in both the Democrat and Republican Party in these primaries. If you let the extremes dictate who the nominees are, what the public, what the policies are, then you're going to end up in extremes and things that don't make sense and further polarize the country. That's the clip he posted on Twitter. Failing Ohio once again. The caption said on his on his uh, appearance, it said John Kasich, former Ohio governor, the top right, said he's broadcasting from Ohio, from Westerville, Ohio. He is not a representative of the state of Ohio. He is not a representative re- representative of Republicans in the state of Ohio. And the fact that he is even considered a, a serious commentator in today's age, a serious politician, a serious person to listen to in today's age after his failure running for president and after his failure to the state of Ohio. The fact that he's still considered serious is is perplexing. I mean, the reason I originally, when the first person declared, I kind of backed Jane Timken. I kind of thought she would be the better candidate because she took on Kasich. Supposedly, I've since changed my mind about her. I've since learned more about her. But before that, because I was so anti-Kasich, and every true conservative is so anti-Kasich, and so anti-DeWine. Obviously, she's not any better than him, but it is what it is. When we return, January 6th is back on the docket here on the Conservative Crusader talking about that here on the program, as well as other vandalism and other 
people illegally being in the Capitol. What if I told you there are two tiers of justice for Republicans and Democrats? I think you already know that. But a Democrat congressman's staffers were caught vandalizing in the Capitol. And seven people were arrested in the Capitol in relation to Stephen Colbert. My name is GOP Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader on the Red Feature Radio Network. Right back after this here on the Conservative Crusader. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. There was another January 6th hearing with the sham committee involved in that. That included Raffensperger from Georgia, the Secretary of State who President Trump famously called asking to look into fraud, look into some votes, look into problems in Georgia because President Trump won the state of Georgia. Well, obviously he opposed President Trump having any sort of say, any sort of influence in what happened. President Trump supposedly lost the state by 11,000 votes. George Raffensperger was on the other end of the line when Trump said famously, I just want to find 11,780 votes. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. We all heard that call from President Trump. Obviously, I'm not going to play the audio. Where he said that there's some problems in, in this election. There's some problems in this system, and there was. Stacey Abrams was famously going around to every nonprofit in America collecting ballots, making sure that Joe Biden would be the winner of the election in Georgia. Because if it works for Joe Biden in 2020, it'll work for her in 2022 when she has to run against strong incumbent Brian Kemp. Whether you like him or not, he's a pretty strong incumbent for governor of Georgia where she is running now. 2020 to her was just a trial run. She was saying, if you know, if we can win 2020 with a election fraud never seen before, uncontested, undisputed by Raffensperger, by the Secretary of State, the Secretary of State's race isn't as important, and we can just make sure to focus all hands on deck with the governor's fraud for the governor's election. Well, uh, Brad Raffensperger testified before the January 6th committee. Georgia Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger fielded a flood of demands from then-President Trump after the 2020 election to address alleged election fraud, according to testimony from Tuesday's hearing on the insurrection. This is from um, Yahoo News. I didn't know Yahoo still existed. I just want to find 11,780 votes, Raffensperger said to Trump during a phone call. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. The audio played by the House Unselect Committee investigating the January 6th attack depicted an increasingly frantic Trump with former president's request to Raffensperger growing more explicit as time went on. Members of the audience in the Cannon Caucus Room where the committee's hearings are taking place laughed throughout the audio clips. I think you're going to find that they are shredding ballots because they have to get rid of the ballots. Trump said on one phone call to Raffensperger, the ballots are corrupt. Trump then claimed that the law enforcement officials who investigated the allegations of election fraud and found them to be false, false were dishonest and suggest that Raffensperger could be held li- liable for criminal behavior if he didn't comply with the president's request. You can't let that happen. That's a, vi- that's a big risk to you. All of this stuff is very dangerous, Trump said, supposedly, on this recording. What I knew is that we didn't have any votes to find. Raffensperger told the panel Tuesday there was no shredding of ballots. Tuesday was the select committee's fourth day of hearing on the January 6th insurrection. The next hearing is on Tuesday. 
So Brad Raffensperger took this phone call with the president and aired it to the national news media where he asked if there were irregularities. When he asked if there might be problems in the 2022 election. Now, Aaron, the 2020 election, I'm sorry. If you are an elected official running for re-election in 2020, running in re-election in 2022, or just running for election, period, in either of those races. You should be concerned about a possible election fraud irregularity, about a possible election irregularity. You don't have to like the person that mentions it. You don't have to say, well, I don't like President Trump but there's a possibility that there might he might be right. There might actually be election fraud. Look into it first. Do something first. Do your job. But instead of doing his job, he's going to January. He's going to the Capitol to, to talk about this event that he wasn't at, that he wasn't involved in. What should truly take place precedent right now is not something that happened over a year ago, almost two years ago. What should take precedent is a news staff or a comedy show was in the Capitol without proper security, without proper allowance, without proper procedures. filming a comedy bit for their boss's show, their boss's Stephen Colbert. U.S. Capitol Police said Friday that officers arrested seven unauthorized people in a congressional office building Thursday night and charged them with unlawful entry. The people identified themselves as being affiliated with NBC's late night or late show with Stephen Colbert. A person familiar with the matter told the Associated Press. Another person familiar with the matter provided the AP with a list of nine people have been stopped by Capitol Police. They included several producers along with Robert Smigel, the voice behind Triumph the Insult comic dog. Now, I don't watch CBS's late night show. I don't watch late night television. If I do, I might uh, record uh, Gutfeld and watch it in the morning because his show is pretty funny. But there is the staff of a late night television show. Stephen Colbert is a big liberal. He does the vaccine humor, quote unquote. He does all that all that stuff, right? His staff went to the Capitol illegally. They went to the Capitol, filmed where they shouldn't be filming without proper security clearance, without an escort, without badges, without identification. They were asked to leave by the USCP, the United States Capitol Police, earlier in the day. They were there to record a comedy segment in the Capitol. After leaving the members' offices on their last interview of the day, the production team stayed to film stand-ups and other final comedy elements in the halls as they were detained by Capitol Police. An active criminal investigation that may result in additional criminal charges is the state of the case. I guarantee you, if Greg Gutfeld's staff was in the Capitol on, on this day investigating, or not even investigating, but just filming for their for their show, the Gutfeld show, or whatever it's called exactly, 
If they were there on Fox News, if Newsmax had a late night TV show and they were there or One America News or even if Red Future Radio has a, had a uh, late night show and we were there, they would say this, this is a for a conservative leaning show. This is for a conservative person. So we are going to be banning them. We are going to be taking them from the Capitol. We are going to ban them from the Capitol ever again. We're going to arrest them or to charge them with trespassing and they will never be able to enter the Capitol again. They will lose all security clearance. They will never be able to go into a federal government building again. That's what that's what would happen. But Stephen Colbert is a talking point for the left-wing media, as a talking mouth for the Democratic Party, so he will probably get off scot-free. Just like the staffer of a congressman will get off scot-free. Because a Democratic congressman staffer was caught defacing posters in the Capitol complex. The... Capitol Police caught Massachusetts Democrat Representative Jake Oshenkloss, his chief of staff, defacing posters outside of the Capitol complex of Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and referred him for criminal charges. But the same U.S. Attorney's Office that pursued January 6th defendants declined to approve an arrest warrant, according to police documents and interviews. Police and Oshenkloss also confirmed Monday that the congressman's office was involved in allowing comedian Stephen Colbert's production team into the Capitol complex last week in an incident that led to security concerns and the arrest of seven members of Colbert's team. Capitol Police asked prosecutors back in March for an arrest warrant for Timothy Heisem, 51, a longtime Democratic congressional staffer who worked for Representative Adam Schiff before rising to be Auschenkloss, top aide, after cap- capturing Heisem on hidden camera security footage defacing Green's posters with stickers with religious messages, according to the copy of the arrest warrant obtained by Just the News. Based on the aforementioned, it is your finance belief that the defendant Timothy Huane Heisem did violate DC code 223312.01 defacing public or private property. But this Democratic politician, this Democratic staffer, decided that, you know what? We're going to vandalize the Republicans. And the Democratic Department of Justice said, you know what? We're not going to arrest you. We're not going to give you a warrant for your arrest. We're not going to charge you for vandalism. I guarantee you if that was a staffer from Marjorie Taylor Greene doing the opposite for Representative Auschenkloss, if that was Lauren Boebert's staff or Madison Cawthorn staff or Paul Gosar's staff doing the same thing to Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff or Chuck Schumer, AOC, they would have been arrested before they even knew they did something wrong. Because we have two tiers of justice in this country. We have two tiers of justice based on your political affiliation, based on what connections you have. If you work for a congressman, if you are a big donor for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, if you are working alongside the establishment, you'll get off scot-free. But if you work against the establishment, if you think that possibly there might have been election fraud, if you think that you should go protest that election fraud, Well, you'll be arrested right away, but if you vandalize and you destroy property, 
Who does he work for again? He works for a Democrat. Okay, he's getting off scot-free. And the fact that that the Republican Party isn't doing anything about this, isn't advocating for his arrest, proves why President Trump hasn't endorsed McCarthy for speaker. Supposedly, he only endorsed him for re-election. More President Trump said last week that he has not endorsed House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House, saying he had endorsed him in just his re-election bid for California's 20th Congressional District. Speaking to conservative talk show host Wayne Allen Root, Trump specified that he hasn't endorsed McCarthy for Speaker should Republicans win the majority in the November midterm elections. He said, no, I haven't. He later clarified that he was backing McCarthy for his re-election bid, saying, no, I, I endorsed him in his race, but I haven't endorsed anyone for Speaker. Last month, Trump issued a endorsement of McCarthy in his re-election bid, calling him a strong and fearless and added that he's an outstanding representative for the people of California. If McCarthy becomes speaker again, I'm blaming President Trump. If McCarthy is our next speaker, well, President Trump shouldn't have endorsed him. But this endorsement was just a goal to Make sure that, you know, uh, uh, that, that, what are the words, that, that he has another check on his endorsement record. That he just has one more ability to say, yeah, yeah, I, I endorse this person because they, they added another person onto his record. And if that's President Trump's only goal, well, maybe he should back out of endorsing. When we return, more Trump endorsements win. Some of them lose. Some good Trump endorsements, some endorsements that I didn't support, lost. One endorsement that I didn't support won. Um, Trump insists he would win against DeSantis. Uh, World swimming bans transgender athletes. Records show police in Uvalde were equipped to storm the shooter. And we have some news about Ohio. When we return here on the Conservative Crusader, my name is GOP Josh on the Red Future Radio Network. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. Last night was election night in America and some parts of the country. In Georgia, Alabama, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., where in, in Georgia, Democratic voters or Republican voters, I'm sorry, ignored President Trump's endorsements again. Rich McCormick, an emergency room doctor and retired Marine, will win the Republican nomination in Georgia's 6th District, defeating Trump-backed attorney Jake Evans in Tuesday's runoff for the Metro Atlanta District. Rich McCormick was more conservative. Mike Collins, the trucker, decided to run against Trump-endorsed Vernon Jones. And Mike Collins won, beating Vernon Jones. If you don't know Vernon Jones, he is the Democrat who ran for Congress. He actually began by running for president, right? He tried to run for president, not president, I'm sorry, governor of Georgia. And he did not win. He did not get the Trump endorsement. So Trump endorsed him in order to get him out of the race with David Perdue. 
He ran against Mike Collins, and he could not win. So I'm not sure if Vernon Jones is going to be doing more in politics in the future, frankly, because this is what he said on Twitter. Today is the first day of the rest of my life and yours, too. I don't know about you, but I'm on the move. I hope he's getting out of politics. If you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. He was a lifelong Democrat. Trump supposedly converted him to a Republican, but he has not changed his ideas. And Republican voters in Georgia rejected that. And it's actually crazy how Trump endorsements matter less in certain Republican election factors. There is the Trump endorsement in Ohio, which is the end-all be-all. We saw how great Mike Carey did when Trump endorsed him in the primary in 2021. We saw a great J.D. Vance did with his endorsement. We knew uh, Jim Renacci probably could have won with Trump endorsements for governor. Uh, his endorsement of other candidates like um, Dr. Oz just pulled him over the finish line. Doug Mastriano helped him blow everyone out the water. And in certain areas of the country, this endorsement means a lot. I can't tell you the last time a truly Trump-endorsed candidate that was contested won in Georgia. And you can say Herschel Walker, but he really wasn't contested. Right? So he has a pretty low endorsement record in Georgia. He endorsed Katie Britt for Senate in Alabama when Mo Brooks was the true conservative candidate. But he lost. Britt will take that win according to CNN's projection. Um, Trump rescinded the endorsement for Mo Brooks because he wasn't campaigning pretty much. Uh, Bauer will get a third term for governor of or mayor of Washington, D.C. And there were also elections in Virginia. Katie Bird is a disappointment. I'm sad that she won, but I can't do anything about that. Congratulations to her. I hope she's a better vote than we can expect. And before we move on, I want to just play a video clip really quickly, unrelated to anything we talked about so far today. You know, I'll, I'll wait until our Ohio segment for that. Never mind. President Donald Trump said he's not worried about Ron DeSantis jumping into the 2024 presidential race, but associates are trying to kill a White House bid by the upstart Florida governor, according to a report on Monday. I don't know if Ron is running, and I don't ask him. Trump told The New Yorker in an interview published Monday, it's his prerogative. I don't think, I think I would win. So he is expecting to win against Ron DeSantis, and I hope he does. I don't think Ron DeSantis will run if Trump does. That'd just be the end of his political career. But we will have to see. President Trump obviously hoping to run again. He's po- he's considered actually, supposedly he's considered declaring before the, the midterm. He's the, the, proposing declaring July 4th. So we can see that from there. Maybe we will see Trump 2024 as soon as July 4. We will have to see. In the future, here on the Conservative Crusader. Not too far future, but in the future nonetheless. In World Swimming bans transgender athletes from women events. World Swimming's governing body has effectively banned the transgender woman from competing in women's events starting last Monday. FINA members widely adopted a new transgender inclusion policy on Sunday that only permits swimmers who transition before age 12 to compete in women events. Uh, the organization also proposed an open competition category. Quote, this is not saying that people are encouraged to transition by the age of 12. It's what the scientists are saying, that if you think to transition after the start of puberty, you have an advantage, which is unfair. They're not saying that everyone should transition by age 11, but you can't, but 
you can't transition by that age in most countries, and hopefully you won't be encouraged to. Basically, what they're saying is that it's not feasible for people who have transitioned to compete without having an advantage. So true, we saw that with um, William Thomas in the state of Pennsylvania in Penn College. We're going to save this article for tomorrow about Uvalde, Texas, because we I, I could go on for that about a while, but practically the police were prepared to go inside the building, were prepared to save lives, and they didn't do it. We're going to move on to our Ohio segment. We have a lot to get to in that segment as well here on the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. And this is Ohio, the most important segment here on the program. We're going to start by playing a clip. All right. This is the most based candidate for Congress in the 2022 election cycle and possibly the most based future congressman that this country has ever seen. And I'm leaving this for GOP Josh, one of the most based young Republicans that I've ever met. Have a good day, dude. Kick on that podcast. So if you have a question for that congressional candidate right there, J.R. Majewski, you can send that in 57GOPJosh7 or josh at gopjosh.com. Call the number or email the email. And we will ask that for you on July 16th here on the Conservative Crusader. Stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe and you are prepared to listen to that interview. So there is a new primary election in the state of Ohio. There is a July 5th deadline to, to, to what's the word, um, register. So if you're not registered to vote in the state of Ohio, Early voting begins July 6th. Register to vote now. There are th- only a few races on the ballot. There are Ohio House of Representatives, Ohio Senate, a Republican State, and Democratic State Central Committee, and local issues and measures impacting their communities are the only things on the ballot. But they are more important than you imagine. The Ohio House of Representatives, the Ohio Senate, and the Central Committees are actually more important than some of the national races. If you don't have a solid party, you're not going to have any solid candidates. And so you need to register to vote. You need to get out and vote during this election cycle, during the August primary. Register to vote now. VoteOhio.gov can get you signed up there to register to vote online. And I want to make sure you're an informed voter. The most important thing to me is that the voters are informed and you make the right decision for our state and our country. Right. So if you go to political party information, if you want to see more about the state central committee race, I'm not sponsored to say this. I'm not being paid to say this. I haven't been asked to say this. I'm saying this for myself and for you. GFIOhio.com. Go to the iHub tab. It is GFIOhio.com slash i-hub. Scroll down to the political party information. Click on the go button underneath candidate list. And you can see all the candidates in your district. Underneath that, there is the list of uh, the map so you can see where your county is in terms of districts for the state central committee. It's labeled Senate districts, but they are the same districts. I'm not sure if the GFI, the Grassroots Freedom Initiative, will be doing a state house and state senate voter guide telling you who's all on the ballot. I'm not sure. But a lot of those races are uncontested. But the state central committee is important. Look into that right now. 
Uh, the link is in the show notes below. It'll be labeled uh, just just the URL. It's uh, HTTPS colon double backslash GFIOhio.com slash Patriot dash party or political dash party dash information. You can see there the candidates in every race. And there are some that are uncontested. Uh, District 17 has no candidates in it whatsoever. Um, I know that one. Um, District 33, I guess they do have a woman in there. I'm sorry. So there are ju- there's only a couple that are uncontested, but there are some that are uncontested, and that's a problem. We need to get people on the ballot for this election, for this campaign. Obviously, it's too late now, but we we have to have a we have to have candidates in every election. So make sure you check that out. So you know who you're voting for. But if you're in Ohio, if you are a Republican voter in Ohio, Democrat voters may be making the decision of who's on the ballot for you. We talked about the open primary, so any Democrat can go in there and select a ballot, a Republican ballot, to vote for maybe Mike DeWine, maybe vote for um, Josh Mandel or Matt Dolan in the primary. This is from the Ohio Star. Figures from the Republican Party's voter database indicate many voters who traditionally have aligned with the Democrats voted for Ohio Republican primary in August in May 3rd, in which Governor DeWine handedly won the nomination for another term. That article is also linked below, so you can read the entire thing from the Ohio Star. The Republican National Committee database rates voters on a scale of 1 to 5 in terms of their allegiance to either the Republican or the Democratic Party. Mainly, the GOP takes into account which party primaries Ohioans have voted in historically, though other data is weighed as well. The RNC assigns a 5 to voters considered to have a strongly Democratic history and a 4 to voters who are deemed likely to have favored Democrats. 3 is uh, ambiguous. 2 and 1 are aligned with the Republican. 152,000 people who voted for governor and lieutenant governor were identified as either a 4 or a 5. When 3 are included, the number of voters not associated historically with with the Republican Party expands to 233,915. That's about 20%. I'm not a fan of open primaries. I'm not a fan of not having runoffs. Because if Ohio had a runoff election, we would see here a Governor Jim Renacci, which I'm not a big fan of Jim Renacci either, don't get me wrong. But he is much better than Mike DeWine. And we will have to see where that goes. But but if you are a candidate, and this kind of goes along with the next question, if your state representative, state senate candidates are challenged, ask them this question. If you oppose having 50%, less than 50% of your voters backing your candidate, say, hey, hey, uh, candidate, candidate one, candidate two, do you support open primaries? Do you support runoff elections? And go from there. No and yes is the answer to that, in my opinion. But you can lean however you'd like to lean in that. But that is today's episode of The Conservative Crusader. Feels great to be back behind the microphone. You know, maybe this only once or twice a week thing after we reveal our new schedule may not be that bad at all. Plenty to talk about here in today's America. But my name is GOP Josh. This has been The Conservative Crusader. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you follow me on social media, GOP Josh 20 on Twitter, Instagram, on Alt Tech at GOP Josh. RedFutureRadio.com, GOPJosh.com. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. 